From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. If you've listened to this show before, you know that one of the key premises is that innovation is fundamentally about people and not process, that it requires a unique mindset. This is what I call the innovator spirit, which are the beliefs that enable the behaviors that make innovation possible. Now, the challenge for many of us is that our life experiences have created beliefs that actually get in the way of innovation. We have seen things, done things, and have been told things that create false truths, which limit our ability to take risk and challenge the status quo, that convince us to settle for good enough and accept artificial boundary conditions. These limits on our thinking about what's possible are all around us. So on today's episode, I'm gonna challenge several ideas that many people consider conventional wisdom. And to help me do this, I've asked Kyle Haggy, the producer of Innovators on Tap and an aspiring entrepreneur to join me on this side of the microphone as we challenge the value of some age-old ideas. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So Kyle, welcome to your first guest role on Innovators on Tap. Chuck, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on this side of the mic. Uh, but more importantly, I, I am excited for this episode because I think it gets at a core principle of innovation, and that's the mindset necessary to do it. And not just that, but actually getting into how what you learn from an early age and how it affects that mindset. And I think the origin of this idea is particularly interesting. So it might be helpful to the audience if you give them some background on how this episode came to be. Sure. So... I think the idea for this episode came from a conversation that you and I were having probably about several months ago. And I think I was venting that someone was telling me that I shouldn't push them so hard to get something done. And their argument was, you know, slow and steady wins the race. And look, I know I've heard this phrase a hundred times before, but my reaction that moment was, wait a minute, that's wrong. It doesn't work that way. It's fast and steady that wins the race. And so I think we then had this pretty interesting conversation, which kind of got at you know a few different questions. So why do we believe these things? Where does, quote, conventional wisdom actually come from? And then probably most applicable to this show, if we want to innovate, how do we have to get our heads around these things and think about them in a different way? Right. And, and as you were telling me that story of how the slow and steady uh, vent, venting session came to be, what became clear to me was actually something pretty interesting. And that's when we talk about innovation, it's actually a lot about unlearning many of the lessons that we consider just as fact. And if innovation is about doing something new, you actually have to get comfortable with the notion that all these things you've believed for so long could actually be getting in your way. And so I think our goal for the listeners today is not only to react to the stories and the fables we're going to share, but actually start to critically analyze what ideas you might have that are getting in your way and limiting your thinking around innovation. And so 
it, when you told me about slow and steady, I, I had to do the research as the, you know, the typical podcast producer would do. And so I came to discover that it was part of Aesop's fables. Uh, Aesop was a Greek storyteller. He lived uh, around 600 BC and these fables, pretty much everyone's heard them. They've been translated to, to every language and in, in every culture across the world. So Chuck, not to, uh, <laughs> trigger your, uh, venting again, but I'm going to read the actual fable. So everyone's on the same page. And then I think, uh, we could get your take on what's particularly wrong about this one. All right. So let's hear this fable and then I'll tell you why it's screwed up. All right. So the actual fable goes as this. A hare was making fun of the tortoise one day for being so slow. Do you ever get anywhere? He asked with a mocking laugh. Yes, replied the tortoise. And I get there sooner than you think. I'll run you a race and prove it. Now, the hare was much amused at the idea of running a race with the tortoise. But for the fun of the thing, he agreed. So the fox, who had consented to act as a judge, marked the distance and started the runners off. The hare was soon far out of sight, and to make the tortoise feel very deeply how ridiculous it was to try to race a hare, he lay down beside the course to take a nap until the tortoise should catch up. The tortoise, meanwhile, kept going slowly but steadily, and after a time passed the place where the hare was sleeping. But the hare kept sleeping very peacefully, and when at last he did wake, the tortoise was near the goal. The hare now ran his swiftest, but he could not overtake the tortoise in time. And then the fable actually ends with this idea. The race is not always to the swift. And so over time, I think we've all heard this story repeated by teachers, managers, writers, consultants, basically instructing people that, hey, slow and steady wins the race. And, and so, Chuck, explain to the audience why originally you had a problem with this fable. Well, I'm actually glad you read the fable because I think most of us only hear the conclusion and haven't listened to it. The hare only lost the race because it was overconfident and he took a nap, not because there was some fundamental benefit to being slow. I mean, well, think about it this way, right? We'll take the Boston Marathon. So I think I looked it up the other day and the record for the Boston Marathon is just over two hours to run 26 miles. So I want to test this theory out. I'm pretty sure you ran track in high school. So Kyle, what right. was your fastest mile time? So my fastest mile time was five minutes flat, which was a very competitive time. Right. So that's fast. I bet you most Americans have almost no chance of running that fast, right? Right. The winner of the Boston Marathon averaged 4.7 minutes per mile for 26 miles. What that proves is that the race is won by someone who is both fast and steady. And, and then if you take that idea and say, okay, that's the Boston Marathon, but how do you apply this to business or innovation? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. IBM, they invented the PC, but they were slow to embrace the technology. And instead, they actually tried to prolong the life of the mainframes, which they were really good at. And IBM doesn't make PCs anymore. Kodak, they basically helped invent digital photography. But then they intentionally slowed down the adoption so they could try to keep their film business strong as long as possible. They went bankrupt. And then GE, I mean, the story that's very personal to me, started by Thomas Edison. He invents the light bulb. But then when it came to LED lighting, they took this incredibly slow and steady approach to the adoption. And today, they're not in the lighting business anymore. So I think in all these cases, what it tells me is that when it comes to innovation, slow is a losing strategy. 
Chuck, those were were great examples, and I'm also now uh, intimidated to ever try to run the Boston Marathon. But the point at hand, when people hear about going fast, they often think about burnout. And so people will say, well, if you're going fast, aren't you likely to crash or to be more unsteady? So I guess the question, Kyle, is, is why do we assume you can't be fast and consistent? Because I think you can. And I think the most innovative companies, they prove this time and time again. I, it's it's hard. I agree with that. But you can't shape a market from behind. And that's fundamentally what's happening in innovation. And then if you take that one step further, why do you assume that fast leads to crashing? I mean, it may lead to more risk-taking, but if you're going to get something wrong, isn't it obvious that it's better to know sooner than later so then you can adapt and adjust? I think it's in these cycles of learning that's what really drives innovation. So Chuck, if the listeners do agree with you, I think maybe the more interesting question is if this story is so wrong, why do you think it sticks around and is so pervasive in our culture? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you my opinion. I don't really know here, but I think probably fundamentally, I think it was intended to make children feel good about themselves in their early developmental years, which I think is very well intended. I think the concern I have with that is that at some point, we also need to help them realize that the world doesn't work that way. That's not reality. And I think to some extent, it's almost a disadvantage. And so despite these good extensions, I think what really has happened is this concept has become an excuse for people to go slow. And as you can imagine, I like to go fast. <laughs> right. And, and I think, you know, it can be a great story as you're a kid, but as you get older, it's maybe misapplied often or not updated. So while I was researching Aesop's fables, I had to dig into a few more because I wanted to see and get your reactions to, to additional ones because I like the rants, Chuck. And so the next one I found really interesting was called The Fisherman and the Little Fish. And so I'll, I'll read the fable. This one's a, a little shorter. So it goes, a poor fisherman who lived on the fish he caught had bad luck one day and caught nothing but a very small fry. The fisherman was about to put it in his basket when the little fish said, please spare me, Mr. Fisherman. I am so small. It's not even worthwhile to carry me home. When I am bigger, I shall make you a much better meal. But the fisherman quickly put the fish into his basket. How foolish I should be, he said, to throw you back. However small you may be, you are better than nothing at all. And so the moral that Aesop said this fable was trying to articulate was a small gain is worth more than a large promise. So Chuck, what's wrong with this story when it comes to innovation? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with it in general. So I like to fish and we have size limits for a reason. So one, it's actually factually correct, right? A small fish is not worth the time to try to clean the darn thing. And if you get rid of all the small fish, you never get any big fish. It's like a horrible idea. But let me put aside my fishing environmental mind on this one. And let me right. talk about the fail itself. So I don't have a problem with this concept of embracing small gains. But when it comes to innovation, they don't lead to great big new ideas. They lead to incremental improvements. And what we're looking for are the big ideas that can change the world. That's why things like Six Sigma, which don't get me wrong, it's a valuable tool that can help you improve your manufacturing yields or refine a product, but it doesn't work when you're trying to do something that's never been done before. So 
I agree that there is more risk in the large promise, but I think that's also where the greatest reward lies. And that's the point of what we're trying to do. Right. And, but in this fishing analogy, you know, the, the fish is in hand. So do you think that you're giving up a better chance of having some success? You, you have it in hand for a, a smaller chance of maybe greater success? I think it's kind of like baseball and you know, I like sports analogies, but if you want to hit a home run, you got to swing for the fences and the data shows that you're going to strike out more, but you're actually going to have a bigger overall impact on the game. That's what innovation is. Innovation is for home run hitters. That's the mindset you need, not one of going up and trying to be a singles hitter and just get on base. You know, my bigger concern is that it's really hard to hit a home run if you don't swing for the fences. So if you're not going for the big idea, you're not going to accidentally get there. And, and to extend that sports metaphor, it's really like understanding what sport you're playing and the strategy for that sport. And if you're doing innovation, then you, you need to try for home runs. So the last fable I have for you, Chuck, is called The Fox and the Goat. I'm sure you're going to love this one as well. It goes like this. A fox fell into a well, and though it was not very deep, he found that he could not get out again. After he had been in the well a long time, a thirsty goat came by. The goat thought the fox had gone down to drink, and so he asked if the water was good. The finest in the whole country, said the crafty fox. Jump in and try it. There's more than enough for both of us. The thirsty goat immediately jumped in and began to drink. The fox just as quickly jumped on the goat's back and leaped from the tip of the goat's horns out of the well. The foolish goat now saw what a plight he had gotten into and begged the fox to help him out. But the fox was already on his way to the woods. If you had as much sense as you have beard, old fellow, he said as he ran, you would have been more cautious about finding a way to get out again before you jumped in. And so the moral of this story was the classic line, look before you leap. Chuck, what's your take on this one? Well, my first reaction is that maybe what you ought to think about is where you're getting your advice. Um, because not all advice is equally valuable. And I think the fox represents someone with some pretty bad advice. But that being said, I actually think if you're going to pursue innovation, it's actually better off to not know all the challenges that lie ahead of you. You know, one of the Cree founders used to say, you know, if we had known how difficult it was going to be, we would have never started the company and nobody would have. So I'm not sure you want to try to have all the information if you're going to try to do something really big and really hard. Right. And do you think though, you know, the rebuttal would be, well, if you don't have all the information and you start making decisions, ultimately your approach is just going to lead to you making bad decisions. What do you think about that? You know, look, I'm not suggesting that people should take reckless chances, but the goat wasn't reckless. He was thirsty. And by jumping in, he got the water and solved the problem that was in front of him. So now he's on to the next problem. He's got to get out of the well. But with each problem comes a new opportunity. And I think it's important to recognize that necessity is probably the best motivator to force someone to find a better way. And so I look at it as the opportunity side of it, not the problem side of it. And I think that's what innovation looks like. Because in my experience, I think the biggest risk is actually overanalyzing things and doing nothing at all. Right. That, that's a great perspective. And, and I do want to apologize to any foxes listening. Uh, you, you all don't have bad advice, just, just this one in particular. So Chuck, this is what I think the most powerful lesson to take away from, from our conversation is. And that's actually to sit down and evaluate why we believe what we believe. 
And honestly, as weird as it may sound, I don't think we actually consider why we think the way we do all the time. Most of it is just accepting it because it's all we've ever really known. And so I would caution you that if you're consistently using cliches to pursue innovation, you're actually probably doing it wrong because a lot of those cliches make up the status quo, which is the very thing you're trying to challenge. I think it's important to keep in mind that artificial boundary conditions and limits on our thinking, they're all around us. And a lot of times they're hidden in the wisdom that so many of us take for granted because you know it's been put in front of us our whole lives. You know, the fact is, most people are hardwired to embrace the status quo because that's what's least risky and frankly, the most comfortable thing to do. So you know, if they take away anything from this episode, I hope it's that you know, gets people to consider what are some of the things, the conventional wisdom that you've believed that it's time to question. And, and, and so maybe my suggestion as we end this would be, take your favorite phrase or saying, the one that you rely on the most often, everyone's got a go-to phrase, and ask yourself, are you sure it's right? Or better, maybe ask yourself, how is that phrase wrong? Because I think if you want to drive change and pursue the impossible, you got to start by challenging the assumption that led to where you are today. You won't find a better way unless you start looking for it. So I hope you've enjoyed this first edition of Chuck Takes On Conventional Wisdom with the help of Kyle, who I really appreciate uh, being on this side of the mic. I think his perspective and research is incredible, and it's always fun to have someone to debate ideas with. Please let us know if you liked this content. Um, we're happy to do it again. And if you don't like it, let us know that as well. And we'll stick to our guests. I want to thank all of you who've embraced this show and helped us continue to grow our audience. And you know, while we're proud of our success, we're still in the early stages. And I hope you'll tell your friends about the show and encourage them to listen. I'd also really appreciate it if you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That's the best way for other people to find out about the show, and hopefully they'll get some of the benefit that you get. Please note that we have additional resources available on our website at innovatorsontap.com. It includes transcripts, articles, and an option to sign up for the Innovation Alley newsletter. Thanks for joining us on this journey, and let's go change the world.